All right, good evening. My name is Pat. I'm an alcoholic. Grateful to be sober. Grateful to be here. Hi, Zoom world. And uh, there's only one couple faces, but uh, nice to see you guys. Allison from Anchorage, you know my mom. You just got my address, I think. Okay, good. And um, uh, I want to thank Pej for asking me to participate in my recovery. And then he didn't show up. <laughs> you know I mean? so, so if you don't if you don't like to talk, you could uh, blame him next week. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I want to thank Fred and my son for making the drive with me. And uh, also known as Christina. And um, Sean, great job. You did a great job. And uh, I just love you and appreciate you and, and appreciate open your heart to us. You know? And um, I, uh, Sean's an interesting sponsor. He asked me to sponsor him. And then, and then later on, he's like, yeah, you're like a famous in AA. So I thought that if I asked you to talk, right, I could get something of what you have, you know? And I'm like, what? You know, and we had to work through that, you know, and uh, that was fun. And uh, I'm like super tired. I got hit by a car like four weeks ago on my bike. And uh, yeah, I was, I was going through a crosswalk and a car decided to keep going. And, and I just slammed right into the side of a, a car going 25 miles an hour. I've had like the shooting pain down my arm, my shoulders all jacked up. You know what I mean? And if you're new, the good thing is, is I haven't thought about pain meds. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a gift, you know? And, uh, you know, I know that I have to, you know, pick up the phone for the new guys that call and I have to continue to lean into prayer and I have to continue to show up and do this and do these things so that I could treat my alcoholism, you know? And, uh, and so I'm grateful to be here. I rode on a 20 mile bike ride today. Uh, I don't know if that's insanity. You just got hit by a car, your arm hurts, you go for another 20 miles, you know? And, uh, and it's not like a bike that has gears, you know, it's like a 29 inch BMX bike, single speed, you know, and, uh, which is even, you know, and I had a hat on and my head burned, like, you know what I mean? You can see the hat line. It's just all awkward. You know what I mean? Uh, I've drinking too much coffee. I don't know what's about to come out of my mouth, but I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. You know what I'm saying? Oh man. And my mom, I just keep hearing my mom, right? She's like, uh, I keep hearing her voice saying, we're not the bedrock of mental health, you know, and uh, it is just going, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, and so that's good. You know, it's good to see some friends. I have a lot of friends here and, uh, and this meeting does have a lot of history. I, I remember this meeting at the, at the, at the, uh, at the YMCA where the pool is. And I was a little kid and I ran around this meet the, the meeting and, and I remember Paul Harris and his wife, Lucia, and they used to wear these cowboy hats. And my mom had a cowboy hat with like all these pins and, I was just ADD behind it, you know, big old feather sticking out and, uh, you know, and it's good to be here. You know, it's good. It's good to be back. Um, you know, it's good to be in this meeting and, you know, uh, I've had I, tonight, I'm like missing my mom a lot, you know, and, um, you know, my mom died with 44 years sober in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and, um, and for whatever reason, maybe I'm tired. Maybe it's this meeting. I don't know, but this is hitting me a lot, you know, and, um, you know, there's that internal part that's just like, you know what, just like leave and go home, you know, and uh, and I'm grateful for for my, for my first sponsor and, and Tom, too. I remember Tom, I was having some relationship issues and and uh, the girl I was dating was in the room. And so was the other girl I was sleeping with. And uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. Tom's like, you're not going to have your way at AA, too. You know, <laughs> uh, you, know you got to sit there in the same seat. You know, it's just like it's awkward around here, you know, and uh <laughs> But I didn't have to drink through it, you know what I'm saying? And I almost killed myself, you know what I'm saying? But I didn't have to drink through it, you know? And, um, you know, and uh, 
I know I just got to walk through the fear and I got to walk through the grief and I got to walk through the feelings and I just got to let you guys know the truth, right? Like I'm hurting on the inside emotionally, you know, and, and that's okay. You know, it's okay. I'm, I'm, the 10th step of this program has brought me back to humanness, right? The 10th step allows me to feel what's going on, on the inside. Be honest what says when these crop up, you know, we get honest with somebody, we pray about it. We get honest with somebody, which is why I went on a hike. A little walk to the bathroom and, and uh, it was kind of a weird experience in the bathroom. But and then I like just walked outside with my friends, you know, and, uh, you know, and, I, and there was, you know, kind of just talk to people and put my hand out. And uh, and that's the program in action, you know. And um, and so here I am. My sobriety date's October 23rd, 2002. Hey, Jerry Garcia is on here. <laughs> What's up, Jerry? And uh, he came back, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and I have a sponsor. His name is Mike Sokio, and I have a home group. And my home group is the South Coast Speakers Meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I love my home group. They taught me how to put a suit on. You know what I'm saying? And uh, man, my mind's like, don't put that suit on. You know what I mean? It's all going to be a bunch of young people, anyways. You know, they don't care. You know? And, uh, and then Mary shows up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. Good thing I wore the suit. You know what I mean? And, uh, but, uh, you know, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I have, I have a love affair with Alcoholics Anonymous that continues to grow um, every, every single day. You know what I mean? Like when, when, when Sean talked about being recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, I was like, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think about drinking, right? I don't think about putting a needle in my arm, crack pipe in my mouth. I don't think about any of that stuff, right? Like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, God, where are you at? Right? Instantly, it's like, God, here I am to serve you put someone in my life today that I can help. You know what I mean? And I go, that's my prayer. And I go into six minutes of meditation, breathing, you know, and, and, and breathing is kind of weird. You know what I mean? It took me a long time to find meditation. It's like the hidden gem around here. Really? You know what I mean? I was, cause I, I have ADD, you know what I mean? I can't really focus, you know? And, uh, and that was one of my excuses. I, you know, I think a lot, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I don't have time and I got to have the right pillow and probably find the right yoga teacher and, you know what I mean? Get the right little pants on. I don't wear them, but you know what I mean? And, uh, you know what I mean? Like I got to get the right incense and then I get the incense. So it doesn't smell right. There's something off, you know, then someone's like, Oh, Palo Santo. And I'm like, Oh, Palo Santo. So I go search for the Palo Santos and, you know, and, and 15 years later, you know, I'm still trying to find meditation. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I had a friend of mine once, he's like, he's like, I can't, you know, I'm thinking all the time. He's like, yeah, you're supposed to think you're human. You know, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm human. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, I don't have time though. You know what I mean? I'm always on the run. Got things to do. You know what I mean? And he said, you know, Pat, he's like, I'm going to give you six minutes to be late to anything going on in your life. Well, dude, if you're alcoholic, you're giving me permission to be late to work. Sign me up. What do I got to do? You know what I mean? And he's like, what I want you to do in that six minutes is I want you to breathe for that six minutes. I'm like, yeah, but I got these thoughts. You know what I mean? These thoughts, you know, think a lot. He's like, yeah, you're supposed to think a lot. He said, I want you to breathe, focus on breath. And when you have a thought, Oh, there's a thought, discontinue thought, refocus on breath. I was like, huh? He's like, yeah, it's that simple. I was like, whoa, man, I've been trying to find the Palo Santo all these years, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I said that prayer this morning and I got right into meditation. You know what I mean? And I get right into meditation and I get to see all the blessings in my life. Right. And I get to see the things that I've done to get to this place, right. Where I can see all the blessings in my life. And I'm reminded of exactly what I need to do today, right? And I get out of meditation. I'm just like, what's up, dude? I hope you're not taking a picture of me because that's super weird. And, yeah. um, 
with an AA thing right there. Thanks, bro. And, um, right. And I get to see, right. What I get, what I need to do today. Right. Like I get to see what I'm going to go out and I'm going to do today, you know? And, um, and I get, I get to this ride out today. Right. And there's this, there's this, uh, this guy that's just like wasted. You know what I mean? And I'm not judgmental of him being wasted. Right. Like I get it. I'm like, dude, it's 10 and you're beer bonging. You know what I mean? Like rad, you know? <laughs> and I get to put my hand out to him. Right. And I get to say, hi, my name is Pat. What's your name? And he tells me his name and we go on this ride out. And I just check in with him. He's just getting trashed, you know? And uh, at the end of the day, he says to me, he says, you know, thanks for being kind to me. Right. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me. It's allowed me to be kind to you in spite of what goes on inside, in spite of the judgment. Right. Like I've been I was taught the right to act better than I feel. <laughs> oh, my God. Try that one out. for Because <laughs> you know I mean? I'm a feeler. I'm super sensitive. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm super sensitive. Right. I'm a crier. You know what I'm saying? You can hurt my feelings just like that. You know what I mean? And when you hurt my feeling, bro, I build a case, bro. That's like, you know what I mean? and I build the wall between me and you to keep you out because you're going to hurt me because everyone in my life has hurt me, you know? And, uh, and I'm grateful for the 10th and 11th step that allows me to get close to that space, right? I get to get close to that spirit within, right? To be able to tell you the truth of what's going on. And, um, you know, and I, I didn't know that when I was a little kid, you know what I mean? I'm a right fielder on the baseball team. You know, the right fielders here, not one person, yeah, one guy, good looking out, my friend, you know what I mean? Cause the right fielder, right? It's not like the winner position. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? Like I show up to the little league, you know, and you remember the little league coaches, they were serious. I mean, they're going to win all these gym games. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, Whoa, bro. You know what I mean? I throw the ball as hard as I can. That way it goes like five feet that way. You know what I mean? And I walk up to the little league coach and he's like, Oh, dude, this kid, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, Hur. he's like, right field, you know? And uh, you know, I'm in the right field is at the Del Obispo field down there in Dana point out there by the sewer. You know what I mean? And it just smelled like poop and uh, flies. And I was like, har, har. You know what I mean? The coach is just like, oh my God. You know what I mean? I'm like a strikeout kind of kid. You know that kid? You know that guy that always strikes out? <laughs> you don't want to be bases loaded, two outs and pass up. You know what I'm saying? The coach is just like, oh, and all my teammates are like, loser. You know what I mean? They're already getting their glove as I'm going out, you know? And, uh, and one time, I don't know what happened, but I was on second base. I, I was terrified. I didn't know how I got there. I should have been proud I was on second base. And I was so self-obsessed as a little kid. Like, I didn't know if I had the right jersey on. Did I, ride, did I have the right cleats? Did I wear the wrong foot? You know what I mean? Are they on the wrong feet? And I was just like, whoa, so self-obsessed. And the kid cracked the line drive and I ran back to first base. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, it was like a triple play in the wrong direction. And, uh, you know, little poopy pants back to the dugout. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I'm going in the dugout and all my friends are like calling me a loser and a failure. And I was no good. Now, none of them said that stuff to me, right? But my perception to life is skewed just, just a little bit, right? And that was the voice in my head as a little kid long before I ever took my first drink. Loser, failure, you're no good. And I remember looking at my mom that day in the stands clapping. I mean, I mean so proud of her kid, you know? And not proud because you had a triple play in the wrong direction. My mom was proud because <laughs> it took me an hour to get out of that stupid car to go to that stupid field to play that stupid game one more time. And my mom was proud that I had enough courage to get out of the car and try it one more time. But I remember that day saying to myself, if I only had a dad, that had never happened. Right. And, um, and I built that belief system all on my own as a little kid. 
You know, my mom's a blackout drinker, which means I'll never know who my dad is. Right. But I didn't know that as a kid. Right. Like I just felt that I wasn't worth my dad's love and he, he didn't want anything to do with me. I sat outside the window of my mom's apartment, right, thinking and hoping my dad was going to come home. And I'm a bedwetter. I don't know if there's any other pre-alcohol bedwetters here. It's not something we're admitting. You know what I mean? And uh, you know what I mean? But like, I'm full of shame. You know what I mean? I would get invited to like one sleepover. You know what I mean? That was it, you know? And I would be, it'd be like two in the morning. I'd be like, don't go to sleep. Don't. I would try to stay awake the whole night. You know what I mean? And then I'd fall asleep. And I'd wake up with that shame and that guilt, knowing I pissed the kid's couch, you know? And, uh, and I'd flip the cushion over, hope they wouldn't know, you know? And uh, no more sleepovers, you know? And, uh, but like, I just had a ton of shame and a ton of like, just on, I hated myself, right? Loneliness. I was an only child. Um, you know, I mean, I was always on the outside of my friends looking in, um, you know, there was just something wrong with me. Right. But there wasn't anything wrong with me at all. Like I grew up in AA, like there's a lot of love in this room. Like I was raised with a ton of love, right? Like a lot of love. I was at an AA meeting every night. The women in AA took me places. They went to conferences. Like I was just surrounded by love, right? But my perception to life is that I'm, that I'm unlovable. Now, I didn't know any of this as a kid, right? Like I didn't know there was anything wrong. Like I didn't find this stuff out until I went through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you're new, you're thinking like, dude, I just can't stop drinking. Like, what does this have anything to do with alcoholism? Like, this is the spiritual malady for me, right? Like the spiritual malady for me is I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm no good. I'm lonely on the inside. I hate myself, right? I'm, I'm just, uh. And at nine years old, I took my first drink of alcohol and, uh, and I was nine. And these little kids, they, these other kids, they were 14. I was at an AA meeting of all places. I guess they can't have meetings there anymore, but it was at the, at the hospital in Laguna. And, uh, and we ran through this, through the hospital. We ran out, there's like a parking structure across the street. And those kids pulled out a bottle of Jose Cuervo. Now, let me tell you, the week before then, the D.A.R.E. program came to school. Remember the D.A.R.E. program? <laughs> Right. And you got a red bracelet and I wanted your bracelet. So I said, hey, what do I got to do to get a bracelet? You're like, I just signed a pledge. So he's like, go ask the cop. So I went, hey, can I sign the pledge? He's like, yeah, give me a little piece of paper. I signed the pledge. I got a little red bracelet. Then I saw you. You had five of them. Now I want five bracelets. So I asked him, I signed five pledges. So I went to the cop. I signed five five pledges. Now I have six. I got one more than you. <laughs> and I saw you, you had like two armbands. I'm like, dude, so here I am, right? Two armbands. I'm just saying no. I'm just saying no. My AA mom, I'm like, mom, I, my mom was my hero. You know what I mean? My mom was my hero. I mean, I would, I gave my mom, mom, I'm never going to drink. I'm never going to do drugs. And I meant it, right? I meant it with everything in me. And that day, those kids pulled out a bottle of Jose Cuervo and poopy pants had no friends and he wanted some friends. And the bottle came to me and I took a pull off that thing. I hated the taste. It was disgusting. And I spit it out and I was overcome with fear. And that fear for me told me that I wasn't going to be like the rest of my life. The bottle went back around the second time. And I remember being excited about having it. I wasn't excited about getting drunk. I was excited about having some friends. I put that bottle back and I talked myself into holding that tequila down. And I can tell you the exact effect alcohol is in this alcoholic body was all that fear went away. For the first time in my life, I connected to a group of friends at that moment. For the first time in my life, I felt a part of, right? And what happens for little poopy pants when he drinks alcohol? Now, I grew up in Mission Viejo, right? Just on the other side of the freeway, right? Right? This is what happens for me. I wore a size 50 Dickies pulled all the way up. I got a 5XL sweatshirt on. I listened to Easy e and NWA and Ice Cube. 
I drink St. Ives in a brown paper bag. I walk like this and I pour beer on the curb for the dead homies. You know what I'm saying? And I don't have any dead homies, but I'm getting ready for some. You know what I mean? And I'm like the kid that gets a call slip every day to go to the to the principal, right? Because I'm a class clown. I'm terrified. I have to make fun of you first, right? Before you make fun of me. And so I get sent to the class, to the to the thing, whatever, the principal, you know. I had such potential, you know that kid? <laughs> my friends Rob, well, my friends were hungry. I'm the director of the show, so I created a great idea. I was like, we could call Domino's. You grab the pizza, Kelly will hand him leaves for the money, and then you guys just take off, and then we'll eat the pizza you steal. Sounds like a great idea, right? You're like, oh, yeah. So you guys go do it. But a third guy went with him and took my stun gun. And you grab the pizza, you hand him leaves for the money, and the third guy went, <laughs> you know, zap the guy. And he, and, <laughs> and, uh, and he didn't even get the money, just got the pizza, man. And we ate the pizza, man, and we smoked some weed, and we drank St. Ives, and we had a good time, and we went to bed that night. And we showed, I showed up to school the next day, and I get a call slip like I always did, right? And I go up to go see the principal, and, and there's two sheriffs and a detective, and they want to know about this strong-arm robbery case. Now, I don't want to be a snitch. The truth is, I'm terrified of what you think of me. I'm willing to do whatever you, I think that you want me to do. I don't even know what that is. I'm figuring it out. I'm a mind reader. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm like, if I snitch, they're not going to like me. So I took the fall for my friends on a crime I didn't even commit. And I went to juvenile hall and I was on house arrest. I was in there for six months and I was on house arrest for six months for a crime I didn't even do. Because I want you to like me so bad that I'm willing to do whatever that is. And my little friends came over and they brought me a St. Ives and a little joint and some needle and thread. And they're like, you need to give yourself a tattoo for your crazy life <laughs> in Mission Viejo. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I was like, oh, all right, whatever you guys want. You know, so they're like, you got to give yourself three dots for Mi Vida Loca, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, that's like Cholo, Hispanic gang stuff, right? And, uh, and here I am, white kid, right? And I'm like, all right, orale, okay. <laughs> so I gave myself three dots on my ankle and, uh, and then they left and I was thinking, I never even been in a fight, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I plucked one of the dots off and now I have two dots, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, right, like really important for me to let you know like the true character behind this podium. I'm terrified, I'm scared of everything, I'm alone, I'm full of just angst, man. I have the nervous disposition that Big Book talks about, right? Fred, you got it too, biting that nail, you know what I mean? But I'm like biting my nails, man. I just, blah, blah, blah. I'm still biting my nails, 46. I'm just like, Wah. I'm just like, woo, driving, right? They would have diagnosed me with ADD and misdiagnosed me because I got anxiety like crazy. And when I put alcohol in this body, that anxiety goes, <sighs> the chest loosens up, man. All of a sudden, I got this courage. All of a sudden, I think I'm a gang member, you know what I mean? <laughs> and at 17 my mom found a bag of weed in the house my mom's like you can't smoke weed in my house i don't know how you hear that but i hear i need to hide it better you know yeah. now my mom would go speak in kansas and i'd steal her truck for the weekend she'd by one time she spoke in idaho or something at a party at her house and i decided to eat like six hits of lsd and then have a party you know and uh which isn't a good thing to do you know what i mean uh, and uh, the police came and there was a helicopter. I think there was a helicopter. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I stole my, my mom's girlfriend, Cindy's 25 little pistol. And I'm like, bam, bam, shooting it off at the, anyways, that's Mission Viejo, you know? And uh, they're like, whose house is this? And everyone's like, we don't know, you know? And uh, right, and like, that's just who I, I was already blacking out at 16. 
you know, and I hid the weed for a month longer and uh, I came, it was, you know, my friend, it was his weed. And, uh, you know, one night I came and the top lock was locked and I knew I was in trouble, you know what I'm saying? And so I rang the doorbell and my mom came to the door and she was hand, standing there with a bag of weed in her hand and she's like, you're kicked out. 17 years old, you're kicked out. And, uh, and I walked in my bedroom at 17 years old and I packed my backpack and, uh, and I walked by my mom and I looked at her right in the eyes and I said, I'm going to do everything I can to ruin your life. And, uh, I watched my mom's heart break right in that moment. Here's my hero, my best friend, the woman that I looked up to the most, right? The one that I told I wasn't going to drink. I wasn't going to do drugs. Here I am drinking, thinking that I'm not hurting anybody but myself. And I watched my mom's heart break in that moment. And I don't know how you deal with shame and guilt, but this alcoholic arrogance came out. I grabbed my mom by the collar, sent her against the wall. F you, I hate you. You're never going to see me again. Now, what my mom said that night, she said, you can either stay here and be sober or go out on the streets and get loaded, but you need to make a choice. And I heard, right, they, when I got to AA, they go, you got a hearing problem, kid. You know, what I heard was that I was kicked out of the house. And I had a resentment, you know what I'm saying? And I left my mom's house that day and I went to an abandoned house right here where it used to be Hughes Market. It's now Ralph's in the condos right there. It was an abandoned house we broke into. We were getting loaded there. We were using candles, you know the deal? And, uh, and I took my first hit of crack cocaine at 17 years old, you know? And uh, man, I've already identified my alcoholism, right? My mom's like, in order to stay here, you gotta be sober. Rules don't apply to me. I'm going to get away with it. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm willing to fight for my right to get loaded, right? Because that is the thing that gives me the solution in order for me to feel okay on the inside. It took away the angst, took away the pain, right? Here I am with a, with a mind sober, right? Knowing that I can't drink, that's driving me to drink at 16, 17. And it took me 10 years till I got sober. You know what I mean? And, uh, I don't know how much time I have. No one told me, so I guess I'll start over, you know? And uh, what time do I stop? Uh, got 17. 17, I better get sober. And so what happened <laughs> on the 23rd of October, 2002 is when I got sober, right? On the 20th of October, 2002, I came out of a motel um, in West Hollywood, sexually assaulted by gay men for the 12th time as a straight man. And I left the motel that day, hotel, motel, holiday, and I don't know what it was, but I left that day, right? And I knew that the crack cocaine was bad. I knew that the methamphetamine was bad. I knew that I couldn't shoot dope anymore, right? I knew that if I did those things, they were going to take me back to that situation. But the only thing that always worked for me and never lied to me was alcohol. And I knew that if I could get a pint of tequila, everything would be all right. And I got to that liquor store that morning and it was, it was actually 5.30 or 5.45 in the morning and we were walking around in circles, you know what I mean, waiting for the liquor store to open. And I remember when the lady opened the door and the door opened, man, it just opened up like that much. It was like, Phew. and just by the door opening, I got the sense of ease and comfort that alcohol always gave me. I knew that I was that close to get it. And I walked in that liquor store and I got a pint of tequila. I took the cap off and I threw the cap because who needs the cap? And I put half that pint down and I blacked out. And what I've come to learn was that I blacked out for three days because I got sober. When I came out of a blackout, 20 minutes later, I was back at that motel begging my way in. And three days later, I came to in a motel in Anaheim looking at three and a half years in prison trying to get into the Salvation Army program. 
And I was laying in bed with a dude. I had no clue who he was, but knew what I did the night before in order to get what I needed to get. And I don't know what was different. That morning wasn't a bottom. Three days earlier was more of a bottom than that morning. I had the same shame. I had the same guilt. I had the same fear. I had the same loneliness. I had the same self-hate. But what happened different that morning was I had, a, I had a spiritual defense that walked right in between me and that first thought of that first drink. And it said this, call your mom and ask for help. Now, I didn't believe in God until I was 10 years sober. But then when I called my mom, I said, mom, please help. And that's all that I said. I believe tonight that God heard that prayer. That prayer was intentional, though it wasn't to God. It was intentional deep down within. I didn't have a, a, a please help with blah, blah. Please help with the blah, blah. It was please help. And I don't know what to do. Right. And she sent the biggest goof from AA. You know what I'm saying? This dude was a year sober. His name's Jacko. Sorry, where I didn't realize we're on the podcast. Jacko, right? He called the guy and the guy answered in one ring. He goes, where's the kid at? I'll go get him. You know what I mean? And you know, the guys that got a year sober, man, they're on fire for AA. They got the big book. You know what I mean? And he went and grabbed a new guy. You know what I mean? Because we don't go in 12 steps alone, you know? And, uh, and they got in the van and they rolled down to that motel and they didn't even knock, man, which I thought was kind of rude. The guy farts right in. He goes, my name's Jack and I'm an alcoholic. You know what I mean? My body was like vibrating. You know what I mean? The other guy was on a walker. He's like, my name's John. I got 90 days sober. You know what I mean? I was like, oh my God losers you right you know what i mean like dude like oh my god losers man could you send me some cool guys like these guys you know what i mean you're gonna send me these losers the grace of god entered my my life that day because that guy jack said come with me kid and i got off the bed and i followed that guy at that motel right that guy had just got a call from his doctor that he would just diagnose with four stage cancer and the next call was from my mom and he knew that he had to help another alcoholic in order for him to get through that situation. And I got in the van and they told me their story. Right. And if you're new, we're a storytelling society. No lectures to be endured. We come here and we tell our stories. Right. I've never heard my whole story from beginning to end, but I hear a little bit. Man, this is a Tom story. Man, I'm like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I get a load of a Tom, you know. And uh, <laughs> but like we hear a little bit and a little bit. And a little bit and the healing started to occur from that guy telling me a story and i had no idea i didn't identify i didn't drink like him i didn't go to the places that i did actually my head was saying this guy's a loser why are you going with him he, he doesn't drink like you he doesn't end up in the play i'm separating myself from him right because the main problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind that's separating me from you just like that and before he knew it i ended up at charlie street and, and jack called this guy pete on over and pete had tattoos from his head to his toe and Pete's and Jack said, Pete, when you drink, what happens to you? And Pete goes, man, when I drink, I go to jail. And I said, me too. I identified with Pete. And Pete said, "You really, what happens to you? I said, oh, man, this one time, right, this war story. Oh, this one time, told you, know, I went to jail. And Pete was like, dude, me too. And then Pete grabbed another guy, another guy. And all of a sudden, there was like four, five, six, seven of us around the, around the, little, the little table at Charlie Street, man, telling each other our stories. And I started to identify. And Jack said, Pat, why do you pick back up? And for the first time, I looked at another human being and I said, I have no idea. Right. I could not tell him why. I used to be able to say I drank over my trauma. I used to be able to say I drank over my depression. I used to say I drink over my anxiety. I used to say I used to drink to blah, blah, blah. And I looked at him and I said, I have no idea. And he started to talk about the thinking that preceded his first drink. And I started to look at what happens for me is every time I'm in jail, separated from alcohol, going to church, going to AA, promising my mom not going to drink, 
meaning, I mean, I do, they would call the people up at church. Come on up. If you feel Jesus, come on up. And man, I'd be lifted up. I was having a spiritual experience, right? And I'm like, man, Jesus, come on, man. I'm like doing this thing, walking up. I get on the knee, my knees in front of the guy, man. I give my life to Jesus, right? And an hour before I get out, I start having a conversation with myself. He said, really, you having a conversation? I said, yeah, every time it starts off with Pat, you know what? Alcohol's not your problem. Really? I said, yeah, I always think it's the drug. And so I get out, I drink, and I'm back in jail. He said, really, what happened that time? I said, dude, Jesus came. Dude, giving my life over again. Yes. AA, I'm coming to AA, right? He goes, what happened, Pat? I said, well, about an hour before I get out, I start having a conversation with myself. Alcohol's not a problem. He looked at me and he said, Pat, if you can concede both propositions, physical, with a, with, that when you put alcohol into your body, you can't stop, right? He said, you do crack and meth after you drink. He, I go, yeah, he goes, that's an abnormal reaction to alcohol. You know? <laughs> I was like, mind blown. You know, I was like, really? And, uh, you know, and he said, and he said, more importantly, with a sober mind, right? With a sober mind, promising all these things that you're going to do, right? That are going to better your life. You have a mind that drives you back to alcohol. He said, you might be alcoholic. I'm so glad he didn't tell me I'm an alcoholic. He laid out the facts in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, laid it out, told me his story as it related to the book, to the facts. I identified my story to the facts and he left me with me. And that might part right there. I looked at him. I said, I'm alcoholic. And I started to cry because I knew in that moment, right, that I had admitted to my innermost self that I was powerless over alcohol and that my life was unmanageable. And at that point, there was no more return to alcohol. And he looked at me and said, Pat, he's like, this is a God deal. And I was like, all right, deuces, I'm out. You know, <laughs> I said, I'm not going to get down with the God deal. I'm not down for Jesus. I'm not down for religion. I'm not doing it. And he said, well, no, no, it's about a higher power. I'm like, dude, I'm smarter than the higher power. <laughs> Come on, bro. Yeah, you know I mean, and so he said, "Oh, 10? Oh, shit! I could start over." And uh, I was trying to get it all in there really fast. And uh, remember Karen Garrison? I felt like I was talking as fast as her. And uh, and so like um, and so he's like, "Well, Pat, he's like, have you ever gone to the ocean?" I'm like, "Duh, grew up here, bro. What do you mean? Yeah, I go to the ocean all the time." He's like, "Have you ever gone in the water?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, dude. Aren't you supposed to go to the water and you go to the beach? You know, like yeah, Sark, you know." He's like, well, have you ever tried to stop a wave? <laughs> That's a power greater than yourself. You know? Oh, my God. Loser. These guys. I'm much smarter than this. You know what I'm saying? And he switched the conversation. And he talked about going through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the greatest gift that it gave him was that he had joy for his daughter when he walked her down the aisle. He talked about the greatest gift that he had hat that the 12 steps of alcoholics Thomas gave him happiness for another human being. And when he saw his grandchild hit that ball for the first time, he was happy for his grandson. And he talked about fitting in his earth suit. And I was like, dude, how do you know about the earth suit? <laughs> like that was like some far out stuff, you know? And, uh, and what happened for me was I came to believe that if I went through the 12 steps of alcoholics Thomas, I too could have joy for another human being that I too could be happy for another human being, that I too could fit in my earth suit. And I can tell you guys today that I fit in my earth suit 99% of the time. That's a gift. And the 1% that I don't, I have a program that's laid out in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that allows me to fit in that earth suit just like that.
And what I used to get from alcohol, right, that sense of ease and comfort, when I come into the meeting and I sit down and, and someone else says their name and they're an alcoholic, I get that sense of ease and comfort because I no longer am alone. I know that you know how I feel on the inside. I know that you know your thinking is like mine, right? I'm a part of, and, uh, and, uh, and, that's, and that's how I came to believe. So I turned my will and life over to Goofy Sponsor Guy. And I started to do what he did. He was a circle and triangle crazy lunatic, dude. He was like, dude, he was like, um, what he would say go, he's like, oh, I alone can't get you sober. He said, but we can, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh my God. So we go to the meeting and he'd go, you need to go meet five alcoholics. I'm like, I don't even like five alcoholics. Really, I'm terrified of you guys. You know what I mean? And so I would go meet three of you and he's like, just tell them, you know, you got to get their phone number, you know what I mean? Because that's what your sponsor wants. So I'm like, hi, I'm Pat. And Tom, Tom's like, oh, hi, I'm Tom. Like, the sponsor wants me to get your number. Can you? And Tom's like, yeah, no problem. You know, and gives me his number. And then I, I would, then he goes, how many did you get? I go, I only got three. He's like, oh, you'll get seven tomorrow. Make up for yesterday. You know? <laughs> right? So then I was like, oh, I got to do the five. You know what I mean? And then he's like, oh, it's time to get a commitment. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, <laughs> commitment, right? And I figured out you can get a phone list and then hopefully you get a phone list like 30. Then you just get the five and tell him, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and so I go to the meeting and he's like, he goes, you're going you're gonna to pour coffee. I'm like, no, I'm not. He's like, thinking that, you know, and he, and, okay, I'll pour coffee. And, and then you give me the big pots, you know what I mean? And the totes. I don't even have a car. You know what I'm saying? And then the next meeting, he's like, you're the literature guy. Now I got these racks and these boxes and these coffees. I don't have a car. I'm like, how am I going to get this here? You know what I mean? He's like, oh, just call Tom and ask Tom to give him a ride to the meet. So I call Tom. like, Tom, can you give me a ride to the meet? I wouldn't tell him I had the totes because I didn't think he would take me. <laughs> and I call Tom and Tom's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll pick you up. And then I get there. I'm like, I got the totes. He's like, oh, we'll be a service together. You know? <laughs> And uh, we get we get to the meeting and Tom's grabbing the totes. You know how goofy we are. I mean, hey, hey, I mean, dude, it's so. But we, there we are, man. We're serving. I don't even know how to make coffee. But here's Tom. He knows how to make coffee, dude. And he got the, the thing and he filled it up with the water and he poured the ground grounds in there. And he goes, "That's how we make coffee." And I was like, oh, "Okay, great, thanks, Tom." And uh, and then the next week, you know, then the next day, Tom would pick me up because I got the literature commitment. And the next day, Tom would pick me up and we do the coffee, right? And uh, and I learned how to be, have friendships in here through being a service, you know? And uh, you guys saw my kid, I guess I'll talk about him. A boy, I'm at a girl on a campus. And well, what happened in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas. <laughs> she, she got pregnant, you know what I'm saying? And I was terrified, I know I was gonna be a dad and I read my dad. And uh, he was born and, and me and his mom had a kind of a deal. Like I was going to school, she was working. She's like, you just go to school and take care of him. You know what I mean? Cause I don't even really like him, you know? And. Uh, <laughs> And I would call the women. And I was like, he has the hiccups. What do I do? They're like, what do you do when you have the hiccups? I'm like, I don't know. Wait. They're like, yeah, wait. <laughs> but he would cry. And I wasn't, I couldn't have an emotional relationship with another human being. He would cry. I'm like, how do I get him to stop crying? So I put him on my head. You know what I'm saying? He wouldn't cry up there. I was like, hey, y'all, good job, Pat. You did on your own, you know? And, uh, and one time I was at my house, my sponsor, he was there. And, and, uh, and I stood up and I put him on my head and I put his head right into a ceiling fan. I was like, whack, whack. <laughs> That's what my sponsee did. He was like, oh my God. But now like, oh. so I handed my kid to my to my sponsee and I went to the back to the back room in his bedroom and I got on my knees. Dude, that was like a trail. I got on my knees and I prayed to a God I didn't believe in. Right? Because the old timers, I'd say, I don't believe in God. They're like, I don't care if you believe, you're gonna pray anyways. I go, Well, how am I gonna pray to a God if I don't believe? Right? That makes zero sense. They go, Well, you just say, God, I don't believe that you exist but some goofy old guys in my home group tell me to pray anyways and then tell God your problems. Okay. So I went on my knees. I got my go. 
God, I don't believe that you exist, uh, but the goofy old guys tell me to pray anyways. And I just put my son's head in the ceiling fan and I don't know what to do. And I heard a voice in the closet that was like, I don't know why you're talking to me. You need to call the doctor, dude. (laughs) So I ran outside, I grabbed my kid, right? I I called the doctor. I said, I just put my son's head in the ceiling fan. He told me all these things to do. I looked at my kid. There was nothing wrong with him. He had a little bump right here in his head. But what happened for me in that moment was that I cared more about another human being than I cared about myself. Selfish and self-centered walked in the door on October 23rd, 2002. By continuing to show up to Alcoholics Anonymous day in and day out, to continue to answer my phone, though I don't want to, uh, to continue to be a service, to continue to say yes, right? I get to experience more care and love for you than I care about myself, right? And uh, I love that little kid with all my heart, you know what I'm saying? Like with everything in me, you know what I mean? He's like, he's my best friend today, you know what I'm saying? We want this bike to 20 mile bike ride today. He's like, I'm tired. You know what I mean, like, let's do it. We're going to do it together. You know what I'm saying? He starts high school tomorrow, right? He's going to ride his bike. I'm like, I'll ride my bike with you, right? We're going to ride his bike, bike together tomorrow and do that, you know? And, uh, you know, I, man, AA is absolutely amazing. Amazing. Amazing, right? I didn't come here to love anybody. I came to AA to not prostitute myself one more day for one more hit. And I've been given so much more. You know what I mean? I was going to kill myself at eight years of sobriety because of my behavior in Alcoholics Anonymous. I couldn't, I couldn't stop cheating on women. Right. And I heard another voice, God, tell me to call a guy. And I called a guy and I went back through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he would say, how's an amends to your dad coming? I wasn't willing to make it. And I would call my sponsor suicidal. I'm going to kill myself. And he'd say, I love you like a son. I never had a dad. He said, I'd like to say goodbye to you before you leave. It's like, I love you like a son. He's like, I'd like to say goodbye to you before you leave. We meet me at the meeting tomorrow. And so I'd meet him at the meeting tomorrow to say goodbye to the only father figure at that time that I can't kind of understand, right? And he would kiss me on the forehead and he'd say, son, I love you. He said, I'd really like to see you at the meeting tomorrow. And I'd really like you to make amends to your dad. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. But I would show up to the meeting the next day, though I wanted to kill myself day in and day out. And uh, one day I was on the bridge. One day I pulled my car over on the bridge. On the 57 bridge, going to jump off. I can't do this anymore. I was 10 years sober. I wasn't willing to make amend, the last amends I made to make to my dad. And um, so I can't do this anymore. And I pulled my car on the 57 bridge and I got out of the car and I said, God, you have 10 seconds. Because I can't deal with the pain on the inside anymore. I'm going to jump off this bridge. And I got to the headlight on my front of my car and my phone rang. And it was an unknown number, which I don't answer in unknown numbers, but I answered it that day. And I said, hello, this is Pat. And, uh, and this kid said, Pat, he said, my name's Chris. And I met, a, I met you at a meeting uh, however long ago. And I just wanted to thank you because of your kindness. I was able to stay sober. And because of your kindness, I wanted to call you and tell you that I was leaving Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm going to go get loaded. And I said, Chris, on the bridge, I said, Chris, we don't drink one day at a time here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I looked at my phone, it was seven o'clock. I said, Chris, there's a meeting starting at 7.30 at the Canyon Club, you wanna meet me there? And he said, I'll meet you there. And I got in my car and I drove 30 miles south and I walked into the Canyon Club and there was Chris. And Chris put his arms out like this and Chris was crying and Chris asked me to be his sponsor. Now I didn't tell Chris I was about to kill myself. (laughs) I just said, yes, I'll be your sponsor, right? Because that's what the old guys taught me to do. They told me to say yes, even though you don't want to, because that's where God wants you to be. I don't know why God wants me here tonight. I said yes to Pej and I showed up. Right? 
And that night I went home and I was cussing out God. Why do you have to put another effing new guy in my life? I don't want to do this anymore. I want to kill myself. I want out. And I felt a hand on my shoulder pushed me off the couch. I was in the fetal position, the floor screaming and crying. F you God, I can't stand you. Can't do this anymore. And I started to make amends to a man I never met. I don't have a part in that relationship. My mom got pregnant in a blackout. But where had I been selfish and self-centered and afraid in every area of my life? If I only had a dad, I know how to be a friend to you. If I only had a dad, I know how to be a boyfriend to you. If I only had a dad, I know how to show up for life, right? That little boy on the baseball field that looked at his mom and said, if I only had a dad, that would have never happened, right? I carried on to that old idea all the way till I got so, until that moment. And I started to make amends to a man I never met. And what happened for me was the victim was pulled out. The power of God went deep down within. If you're new here tonight, my message tonight is that Alcoholics Anonymous is a lot more than just not drinking. Alcoholics Anonymous is a process of growing up. And it's my prayer if you're new, you find a sponsor that cares more about your life than the way you feel. My name is Pat. I'm an alcoholic, and I love you all. Thanks.